and welcome to the Rethinking Leadership podcast series. I'm Jude Jennison, host of this podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I believe that leadership is about who we are being as much as what we're doing and that when we combine our brilliant minds with the emotional engagement of the heart, we can solve all of the world's problems. In this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of disruptive change and ask them how leaders can position themselves for the future of business. Find out what this week's leader has to say. Aaron McCormick is one of my more unusual podcast interviews. Born on the south side of Chicago to a difficult background, he developed an incredible career by booking every trend and refusing to conform. Instead, he listened to his intuition and inner guidance to be in the 1% of best of best in IBM, as well as running his own tech companies. Have a listen. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Jude. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So can you tell us who you are, what you do, what brought you here? (laughs) Such a big compounded question, right? Yeah. (laughs) And what I do, what brought me here. Well, you brought me here. No, I'm kidding. Um... So uh, Aaron McCormick, I, who I am, let's see, I'm, I consider myself a vessel. We'll get more into that later. Um, but I've had a career in sales uh, technology that has spanned everything from uh, pre-IPO, small startups, small consultancies for services that deliver everything along the whole IT stack in my youth, uh, onto global powerhouses uh, that got acquired by uh, companies like Oracle. I've worked for IBM. I've been best of IBM, which is like their Oscar award, if you will. It's like you're the top whatever, uh, 1% out of 400,000. So that was a, a huge honor. Uh, I've started uh, disruptive startup companies. I have one that's incubating and uh, being developed as we speak. Uh, I'm also an author, just released a book in January that's called Unbounded Journey to Your Within, which is all about you, the reader and all the little things that life has been trying to teach us and tell us about who we really are, not who we've been molded to become based upon our fears and our circumstantial external stimuli, if you will. So it's very much a book about being more heart-driven or intrinsic-driven versus ego-mind-driven, which is uh, kind of the mantra, if you will, of life on this planet. So that's the book aspect. And so now I find myself doing a little bit of both. consider myself a bit of a bridge in the sense that I'm physically ambidextrous and um, figuratively or spiritually, energetically, if you will, ambidextrous in that um, very, um, I guess, uh, analytical, intellectual, and yet highly uh, heart attuned. I'm empathic, very intuitive, that sort of thing. So that's, that's uh, me. I hope I, hope I did that some justice. I don't know. That was a broad question you asked. Well, and I've got, and I've got so many more to ask now because I'm really intrigued and I'm intrigued because um, we have we have at least one thing in common in that we both worked for IBM, and so I understand the need to be analytical and logical and um, in a te- in the tech industry. But also, I am empathic and intuitive and heart centered, and so I'm really curious what that means for you of how you balance the two of those. Well, <clears throat> that is life's journey. <laughs> that is the you know, the billion dollar question is integrating the two things that we all are just to varying degrees, mm-hmm. biggest organs of the body, mind, heart, figuratively, same thing. Um, so how do we integrate them? That is the journey, Jude. Uh, I mean, uh, in my case, 
I found that um, I've, I've been largely unable to live in conflict. So I talk about internal conflict where I don't try to tell myself that I won't live in conflict. I just naturally have a very hard time doing so. So in other words, as we uh, come into this world, it's like we have this initial spark or way about a spirit. We've heard people say, Jude has a kind spirit or so-and-so has just a mean spirit. Well, that is interchangeable with essence or personality or invisible thing that animates you, if you will. So um, I, I think we all come in a certain way, regardless of our um, physical genetics. Sometimes our spirit or personality belies that of our parents and, and other relatives. Um, and we, we then begin to take on a bunch of things that proceed to shape what our animation is. Fears, expectations, labels, all kinds of things from the physical, uh, you know, how we show up in the world physically, our race, our sex, our, you know, nationality, where we live, our social class we're born into, masculine, feminine, so many different things. And, and they, they exert pressure on us. Um, so when I say I, I've tended to um, naturally not um, I prefer to be more incongruent, or a congruency, I guess. I prefer congruency with myself more than uh, congruency with things around me. In other words, it scares me or triggers and chafes at me more to go against what's kind of a, a gut thing than it is for me to upset, say, a peer group or, say, um, family expectations or cultural expectations all that sort yeah. of stuff and that's interesting have you always been like that or have you had to learn that way of being in the world largely i've always been that way although there of course there have been times where uh, i had to learn the lesson even more strongly where i did fold right we've all succumbed to peer pressure or fear of being different or being looked at funny ridiculed whatever uh just um you know fear of being different because humans are social creatures, we tend to want to assimilate. So I've had those, but by and large, I've always uh, been that way. And by the way, that, you know, a lot of things about all of us, I think all of us have a mosaic that it's our job to, our mission, our purpose in being human to try to piece together and discern and make some sense out of. I actually am left-handed and you know how they say lefties are in their right mind and vice versa. Uh, and lefties tend to be, you know, in general, more creative. That does not mean right-handed people are not heart-centered and all lefties are super heart-centered, but it does belie a, a little bit of an aptitude to be more uh, creative, which means something that isn't so logical. It just happens. It's organic versus more, more mind-centered. So um, we, later on, Drew, we can talk about some of the ways that I've discerned that uh, both you can determine for yourself, which is your bias, and that has nothing to do with being left-handed or right-handed, by the way. Uh, and how you might notice things in others. So whether you are, um, you know, work uh, dealing with coworkers uh, or clients, any kind of situation, you can instantly tell what sort of mindset they fall into. What you do with that will be a, a whole different topic. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will. But I, where I want to go back to is the the piece around um, that you've you've booked the trend, if you like, of of conformity um and and where you know i i learned to conform because i was one of a small number of women in a, in an office of mostly men 
Um, and so I learned to conform to fit into that organization. I then learned, I then had to unlearn and relearn. Um, and one of the things that I find a lot with, with my clients is that this desire to belong and this desire to conform to fit into the social circle is so strong that people do become incongruent in the workplace. Right. So I'm curious as to how, how you, I mean, that takes enormous fortitude to book that trend. What, what can you share some of, some of your thoughts around that? Yeah. Um, and this is, um, I speak about this a lot where these, the things that I try to share are truisms for all of us. And usually we will think back and reflect and be like, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's, it's a matter of when they become a lesson to us because they're, it's there all along. And that's really the, actually the, the, the purpose of the book. When I say I'm bound to journey to your within, it's like, it's not about what other people tell you is the way things are or how things should be, or how you should be. It's about your cause and effect, what you're deducing from that, and how you are evolving in a way that feels more centered, fulfilling, accurate, if you will. So it's your own lesson. So um, one of the things that I will allude to is um, how conflict. So we take conflict, which is the fearful thing that we all are running from. And that, that is the thing that it's conflict with all those you know, entities I just mentioned. Um, each one of those things that I mentioned as something that we might be scared of is external to, to ourselves, right? So it's, if it is a schoolmate, a peer, it's a coworker, it is a spouse, it's a family member, you, any of those things you can separate from, <laughs> right? I mean, you can, and I don't necessarily mean permanent, although if necessary, that too, including a spouse. We all know energy is what it is, but you can take your leave, so to speak, you can go for a drive, you can exit and you can choose when I go back to school or work, that's not who I'm going to associate with. So you can almost carve these very um, restrictive or conflicting chafing entities out of your experience. You can't quite do that with yourself, <laughs> right? So that if you go against yourself, if you're in conflict, that voice is uh, unsilenceable. That's a word. So you're always going to deal with is that how I should have done that? Or in any situation, like we've all been in, you know, you're mingling at a, at a party or a business mixer and somebody's too nosy. So they ask you some things and you don't want to be rude. So there's that conforming again. You don't want to be in conflict with them or seem confrontational. So you divulge stuff that in hindsight, you walk away and you go, why did I share that? I wish I, I wish I could have that back. It's none of their business what I made or it's none of their business something too personal. Um, and so that voice of regret or the voice of um, lack of fulfillment, whether it's the job or relationship or whatever, is, is going to nag you. Or, you know, there's something that you love, but you're ashamed of it because things around you say that that's not very wise or smart or won't make you money or is corny. It, it's different for your sex. It's too masculine because you're a woman or it's too feminine because you're a man, whatever that is that thing is still in you and it's still knocking at your door all the time or knocking on your head saying, why don't you indulge me? You love this. Um, and so you just can't run from yourself. So that's, yeah, that's one. Do. So we do. Yes. And, and then what's ironic is we then look out at others who are 
uh, they seem to have it all, so to speak. And I don't just mean money or finance. I mean, like they, they seem genuinely energetically at peace and fluid, if you will. And then, and you don't realize why you aren't and, and that your career and money and every topic, love relationships, everything is energy because we're energy. And the fact that you're in conflict with your own energy, how can you conduct? Energy is conducted. Energy shakes hand, creates a circuit, so to speak. So you can't conduct your own fulfillment or joy. And by the way, joy, fulfillment, those are energies too. Literally, not just, you know, esoterically speaking. I mean, like, put us on a biofeedback machine, show you, Jude, pictures of your, child, of your childhood pet or a loved one, your vibrational essence or resonance goes up. Show you something that scares you, makes you feel guilty, ashamed, it goes down. Um, so you can't manifest, so to speak, or you can't have one without the other. You can't be fulfilled without being fulfilled. And if you're suppressing and in conflict with yourself, then you're largely fulfilling the masses out there and they can't be fulfilled by you because you're external to them. <laughs> so yeah. here you are trying to be your, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm so great in all these ways. I'm physically skinny or I'm all the different things that the little, you know, uniforms we put on, on the outward. Uh, but if we're not, if we're in conflict internally, then we're wasting our time. We're spinning our wheels. So, oh, so many questions I could ask you on this. But um, So in the work context then, what are your thoughts around how do people work in a team where there is there are always differences of opinion? Teams are often full of different cultures, uh, different genders, race. You know, hopefully we have diverse teams and therefore we have much more diversity of thought. Right. So how do people find the outer peace out externally and maintain their own inner peace? What, what are your thoughts around that? Well, first off, the reason for um, all conflict externally, all, all disagreeing, um, if you will, or um, major dissonance uh, is fear. It comes back to some fear of either not getting enough credit for myself, so I'm fear of being upstaged. It, it is a, a fear of, of being misunderstood. It's, they're all, there's just a huge list of them. Um, and the opposite of fear is love. And most people say, well, there's two different things. What do you, how do you mean? Well, I'll, when I talk about conflict, like even in the context of all the things going on in the world today that are national, uh, racial, just things are topsy-turvy, if more of us understood what we are beyond what we think we are, we would love ourselves more. Mm -hmm. And if we love ourselves more, then we'd realize, and when I say love, I don't mean like the physical love, self-love, body dysmorphia, or uh, all the other, you know, race and, you know, loving yourself that way. I mean, the perfection of your journey that's unique to you, that is, that you decided, if you will, subconsciously, and that's a whole nother topic that I can talk about how we all have evidence that there's something inside of us that tells us we are more than baby and then our current age and then eventual death. There's, there's something that, and there's things in life that have proven that to us, but physically we go, you know, cause again, we're analytical, we're logical and you just can't explain something that you can't knock on and touch having no beginning, no end. That's a topic for another discussion. 
Uh, but to the extent that you go back through your life and look at the things that once uh, super were super intimidating to you, whatever it is, whether it's going from fourth to fifth grade, you're like, oh, how will I ever learn long division? You know, I'm doomed. And you gradually learn that. Or your parents relocate and you're, oh, I'll never have friends again. And you expand. So just like the universe, we are constantly expanding. And the things that you thought were harmful to you actually serve you because when you realize that everything is not exactly this, phys this finite physical thing, because energy itself is not finite and we are matter. Science, this is not esoteric or religionism. It's like science shows that everything is energy. So therefore, we're, we're more fluid than we think. So I think, Jude, if, if we all went through a very introspective um, journey, if you will, or looked at our history and looked at our current and, and looked at how we even viewed our future, because that has an energy, and, and understood the patterns of the things that impede us, that, have, that we've celebrated about ourselves versus the things that we are ashamed of or feel insecure about and, and things that have scarred us, if you will, once you start to understand that there's design behind it and that it's serving you, now you're threatened less. So the answer to your question is, it's very one-on-one -on -one introspectively. I think the world changes when we individually view ourselves a bit differently because you gotta love you before you can love anything else. You can't give away something you don't have. So once you're clear on, gee, everything is serving me. I may not know it at the time, but it's serving me. So you breathe a bit of a sigh of relief. So now when you're in a group setting and you're at work, you're not worried about, or beyond work, you're in a social setting or you're in a political setting, whatever. You don't have to be worried about who's going to do you wrong or what harm is going to come to you because what happens, happens. You're kind of, you're surrendered, if you will, to the flow of it and to, you know, there's a subconscious. Hey, even science says 90% of thought is subconscious. Yeah. Well, we don't know why we do 90% of what we do. <laughs> well, and I, and I totally get I totally get where you're coming from because it's you're you're speaking you're speaking my language but you're you've been in sales so tell me how that works in practice that whole idea of surrendering when you're up against the you know up against the wall and you've got a sales target to meet by the end of the month how how <laughs> right. does that sense of non-attachment and surrendering to what is how does that work in that situation First of all, the stress has to dissipate because you recognize it is what it is. You don't really control anything other than your current state of the flow. So, and that comes across in your meeting because nonverbal communication. So if you're the sales rep that's worried about your quota and you're stressed and you're anxious, guess what? Your client is too. And we remember the emotion of an experience more so than the words. That's why when you see previews to a movie, you may forget what the movie was about, but you just remember saying, I got to see that, right? So you remember the emotion. So if you are surrendered and you're in the flow, if you will, um, and you recognize your power is limited in terms of conscious power, you're not going to consciously tell and make somebody do anything. And even your own self is, is animated by a subconscious force. So your, um, your presence is different. And, you're, and therefore, you're more attractive to the other side because they want to be in the moment. And they're, they rarely encounter people that are in the moment, if you will. So your ability to listen, your empathy, your, you're unaffected by all the fears that are at home 
that are in your bank account or not in your bank account, if you try to make a quota, whatever it is, in that moment, they have you and that's refreshing. So does that mean you can close a deal in a month? Depends on how complex your product is. But, but yes, I mean, the one thing I was going to say is whether it's a sales call or you're dealing with colleagues at work, once you are, uh, you've, you've progressed in this sort of way of being, um, you're able to accept all kinds of differences. So the clashes are less because you know everything is serving me. Everything is serving them, whether they realize it or not. So I don't have to be threatened by the new employee that seems better or whatever, or, or the boss or whatever the case may be. I can now just absorb an experience. So now I can listen to these to this opinion or perspective without being triggered of, yeah, but that's going to upstage me or, yeah, but that's going to shoot mine down. And yet, you know, so you have all these uh, previous emotions that were animating you, which creates more tension. Now you're just a vessel sitting there, taking it in, giving it back. And that puts at ease that the one that might have originally been antagonized by you and a competitor to you to now appear becomes a mirror and you're the instigator of it. So they're in weird ways drawn to you which makes you more, you know, potentially able to lead them. And I don't mean control. I mean, literally lead down, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, um, a, I guess an orchestration or down a cohesive path for, for both sides. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's so much easier to say that than do it though, isn't it? <laughs> and, if you, and if you look at the, the context within which we're living and working right now, where, you know, we've got massive uncertainty. We've still got lots of polarization around how we deal with the pandemic, how we deal with topics like Black Lives Matter, all of the societal and economic issues that we've got on a global scale um, that generate huge amounts of polarization that then generates more anxiety and more fear. And it right. feels like we're escalating more into that. And, right. and away from what you're speaking to. So, um, I, in and we are, we are, but it is for leading to something good, but go on. I want you to finish your thought and I'll come well, back. Well, no, that. go, 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 because I'm not sure what my next question was. So the, one of the ways of becoming some of the things that I talked about or embodying that kind of energy, a lot of it has to do with, um, awakenings that happen uh, i mean you can you can consciously go through your trajectory your life and and get more at ease progressively that's the reason why we have things like books mine or other books the whole point is you either are naturally animated by the heart and that and that already has you centered or you tend to be more mind driven but there you still have a heart they're still connected but you need to corroborate things, directions, and uh, ideals with the mind more strongly. So that's why we take in information, and either it's resonance or it isn't. But one, when it happens through the heart, you go through something that is uh, referred to as a dark night of the soul, if you will. And who knows how this all gets orchestrated, you know, whether it really is a higher you, and we're like avatars, having a physical embodiment, but the mothership up there, ourselves is kind of controlling things or has already determined the life that we're going to live and that avatar is one with god because you know all religion says god is energy no matter muslim buddhism christianity you name it so some things that have, have parallels there 
But this dark night of the soul thing um, is what um, we, I think we're collectively going through. And it may not be to the magnitude of an individual awakening. Like um, you just go, if you Google awakening, uh, human awakening or human ascension, you'll, everything from the Gandhis of the world to the wisest people that have, that have lived, uh, we'll talk about various symptoms of, of human awakening or ascension, but and you can't control this anyway. You can't make yourself go through that. Well, this dark night of the soul is where a series of events or a single huge event, something changes how you are animated. And it has to be miraculous because we all know humans don't change, right? One of the biggest topics in business is change management and, and human behavioral change is it's nearly impossible. It's a science, right? It's very uh, complex and therefore highly esteemed if you can do so. But when somebody goes through, whether it's a near-death experience or something else that changes their animation, you could kind of call that a miracle because miracle is really defined as what was once impossible or at least limited to, to your given perspective actually does happen. So it defies logic uh, and that sort of thing. So um, when a dark night of the soul happens, you begin to, to um, operate differently, see yourself and the world very differently. And that's a very natural thing that you didn't make happen. Like you can't scare yourself to death, right? You can't, there's, there's things that you don't consciously do. So it brings me to the COVID thing, for example. When you, they always say absence makes the heart grow fond or, uh, you know, resistance builds the muscle, pressure builds the diamond, all that sort of thing, right? So here, all of humanity, almost the entire planet has had a huge, adjustment is an understatement <laughs> to how they are. They can't socialize. They can't, you know, consume new entertainment at least because that's not even really being made. They can't shop. They, I mean, so all the things that were external that we look to for day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, nourishment, if you will. So we're nourishing ourselves on junk food because uh, you're not expanding internally about this, who and what you are. You just, your mind is overstimulated by all these things and now it has to be still mm -hmm. and then you have the fears that we all had such as where is my career going to go or uh, just there's a whole list of them right Th all those we've had to face head-on from personal career or, or a personal job if you just have a job if you will to the entire industry industries are in question a lot of shift is happening so when you face the fear or when you carry the weight muscle stronger when the diamond gets the pressure it's stronger so it's forcing us to go within if you will go within in a sense that okay i can't get the fun through all of my buddies we don't hang out like we used to or i can't get the fun through the next material thing i buy because i don't know how how well money's going to be coming in so even if i have money i'm a little more concerned about it so you're facing all these fears and that is is actually i believe leveling us up so while it's getting ugly and may even get uglier the ultimate result will be a, a bit of refinement as people start to do things that are more important to them things that bring real joy and they start to get creative and, and things that are more i guess heart-centered as opposed to extrinsic yeah and i mean what you're speaking to is is basically an existential crisis isn't it it's that whole we're we're facing into um, our very our very lives and how we live them and and how we lead them and um, 
and life w won't be the same again. And there's, the, there's this desire to go back to what was because it's known and comfortable, but actually right. we're opening up to something new. So, so do you think then as part of um, creating change, either in, in organizations or in leaders and teams and in, and in the wider mm -hmm. society, is this introspection, is it a crucial part of, of change? And the, and the reason for my question, just to give you a bit better background, is that the number of people that say to me, I don't have time to reflect, I'm just flat out busy all of the time. Um, so so how, do you, how do you balance the two? Well, I've got two answers to that. Um, first, the person doing the job, whatever their job is, should be a job that raises their vibe in the first place. So number one, for example, with, with my startup, the way I envision that culture growing, no one will have a job based in fear, mm. which is how 95% of people currently have jobs. And the fear is, if I don't make this check, I got a problem. So I have to do it. And I'm also in this job because of limitations external to me of what say I'm qualified for. So I am, a, a, to give an example, in the corporate world, something that may seem more mundane, I'm a receptionist. I'm the secretary. I am, uh, you know, lead generation or something that um, some, those of us that have matured in our career may look at as, that's gotta be monotonous or that can't be fun. Well, for some it is. So I think the key, what makes leaders great, whether you're a coach on a team, finding and exploiting in a good way, leveraging the strong traits and the strong gifts and aptitudes, and where it's strong, the person hopefully enjoys what is a strength to them. So for example, one of the huge policies that we will have is we're almost many psychologists because leaders are workers with people and people are the most complex things that we know of. Nothing's more complex than us. No computer, no AI machine, nothing, because we are the, the creator of those things on top of that, and we have emotion and stuff. So you're not just looking at a resume and what their words are for how they can do the job. Your job as a leader and, and a potential manager of that person is to ascertain, is their heart connection? Would they do this job or do they do it naturally? So if it's a secretary interview, if the person doesn't love balls in the air, and they love multitasking and even at home they you know they don't want to just sit still they have to be and if that's the kind of job that this job is you know it's a fit right so there's all kinds of ways to ensure that there's there's a natural uh a flow for the person in their job so if that's the case then they're in their element so some people zone out and go within while doing a complex task because it's their natural zone so the person can be busy and stuff and, and not be stressed because of that. So when they have just a 10 minute break, they're of the, they're of the freedom to, to go in and to reflect and to be fun because life was not hard while they were doing their job. On the other hand, if they're out of their element or it's too much for them and it's not the fit, now they're disrupted a bit. So it's like, how do you ensure that the person is, is the fit for the role? And for that matter, you may have to end up deciding if, if the energy is good for the culture of the company, maybe that person secretly wants to be in marketing 
but they've been a secretary or a lead generation or whatever the, the job or in accounting for the past 10 years. And they've, they've grown that way because when they were a child in high school, somebody analytically said, a counselor, a parent or whatever, this is where the money is. This is where things are going. And since we live on fear of not having money, we go, okay, I'll major in accounting. Okay, that happens to countless people. So now they're 10 years in and their voice has been saying marketing all this time, but they're in the safety, which abates the fear. They're in the safety of, I'm an accountant or I'm a secretary, I'm whatever it is. So when you're interviewing that person, maybe you find out, oh, you're about to get your first shot at marketing. And maybe they become a hybrid role where their time is split from being that secretary or legion person for half time, part time, and the other part of the time, they're in marketing. And their vibe may flourish so much that you end up getting you know, a superstar that leapfrogs from the people that come to you for a marketing position, but they're drones, right? They're in the, this is my job. Versus this person who's, it, it's in them, but they never had that shot. So there's all different ways we can apply looking for the heart to the performance of the business. So this is not like nice guys are going to finish last. This is like <laughs> the most successful companies will have the best performing employees. And therefore, that's why they're the most successful companies. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've, we've seen throughout the, the pandemic, and I don't know if you've seen it in the U.S., in the same way but in the in the UK there has been that sense of communities coming together and supporting each other and and also organizations you know a lot of my my clients when I'm talking to MDs and CEOs they're they're all talking about building connection with the employees they're all talking about having compassion for each other I mean compassion was a word that I've used for years but it's it's not very often you right. hear CEOs and MDs talk about that, except that they do and they right. are doing. And, and I think now's an opportunity for us to, to look and um, be introspective and look at what is it that we've done brilliantly in the last few months that has got us to this point. Because if you, you know, I think four months ago, certainly in the UK, the whole of the UK was just riddled with fear. Whereas over the last four months, there's been this real sense of people connecting there's still a lot of fear don't get me wrong but but there's this real sense of this this heart-to-heart connection that is being created in the workplace that i think we can really build on now yes and uh, you know to your point about people becoming more passionate or at least outwardly more uh, more compassionate it's always been in there it's just been under other things that are have become a higher priority completely Um, and if you think about our nature from the very beginning, it's like we are all here for two basic reasons, right? Reason one is to experience things, all kinds of things. Babies are exploratory all the time. I mean, it's to experience some joy. And obviously, contrast is, you know, uh, without being too cliche, the spice of life. You know, they say like night and day, hot makes your air conditioning feel a lot better. This is, um, how life works. So we've come to experience those things. Polarity, hot, cold, good, bad, suffering, success, all these different things. So that's point one. We're here to experience. And then the other thing we're here for is to relate and to connect and to touch other humans. And that's why humans are such social creatures. That's why you look at a baby, and a toddler, how, you know, <laughs> I've got a four-year-old, four and a half, and a almost two-year-old and one in the oven. It's like, 
you just observe them, yours or anybody else's, at about one, one and a half, and they're barely walking, they're, they're literally playing out for you the whole path of life, which is this, notice me, I want your attention, but don't control me. So I want to be observed, I want to be consumed, meaning I want you to see what I am, who I am, what I am, watch what I do, watch what I create, watch the noise I make, just whatever it is I'm about. But if you try to control and corral me too much, I'm not feeling that. So, uh, but if you ignore me completely, I got a problem there too, right? They're like, oh, no, look back at me, right? So it's like, um, after we're here to have our experience, we want to touch, we want to create, we want to help, we want to feel the results of our hands. So if that's the second most important reason we're here, then it makes sense that we should, we should have already been, like you mentioned, attuned to compassion. How can I help? So this now gets into what's joy? What's joy versus happiness? Happy is like a fleeting feeling. It's a moment. It's elation. It's going down a roller coaster. So you're giggling, you're laughing. It's, but that's only here, not here in the heart. I mean, it's here, me, only me. The, the, the complete circle of why we're here includes interaction and the helping of others. That's just in our nature. Uh, children have a certain amount of empathy and a, a I talk about this in the book too, you observe our original nature. So to your point, if, if I'm a physician and I've lost my connection to the second reason I'm here, it's become metrics and numbers and charts and performance. And I'm now in administration. I, I've, I've gotten jaded and every physician can relate to this when they've been doing it long enough where they've lost a bit of the heart connection. And they'll all talk about nostalgically back when they first decided to be a doctor the motivation then and how the industry or the pressures or things have changed that. And, and now the answer is you've got to get back centered again. And, and I think back. that's, I think that's true of most organizations too, is that most people have entered an organization with some excitement about their career or about what's possible or, or the value they can add. And eventually they get ground down under pressure. Right. So, um, Final question for you. What's your, what's your hope for the next generation of leaders? Hmm. And that's also applies to humanity <laughs> because we're, we're all leaders leading our life. Yeah. And for example, leading others. I mean, I, I hope that we collectively become more aware of who we are before we became who we are meaning if we um, understand that we're all connected in the sense that um, our needs, our basic needs are the same, there's a reason for that. Um, and everything else, the bullet points under the basic needs are the things that make us individuals. So those are to be celebrated because 98% of us are all the same, of what we are is the same. And that 2%, are the things that will make life interesting to see what makes Jude fill in the blank on these topics or, you know, so the more we can, I guess, celebrate who and what we are and have the compassion on the other side. Um, I think that we're all going, I think we're going to a better place. I think we're actually going to enter a golden age, if you will, on the other side of this, because again, if you marry the analytical, logical thing that most of us business people are, and you look at the esoteric side of things, this has been talked about for a long time. Mm -hmm. 2020 
not just in terms of the numbers sounding like perfect vision, you know, no pun intended, but maybe that is pun intended, but also the, you know, the fact that leaders of the world for centuries, as long as we can go back in history, have set things according to astrology. And the alignments that we're in for 2020 implicate huge paradigm level changes for everything that makes the human experience what it is. Mm. Commerce to to relationships to and all heading in a in a better direction. We're entering a brand new age. So with that, I mean I, I I'm very hopeful that we'll we'll become more heart-centered and we'll become more balanced. I think we've become too ego mind, which is you know all the things we've been talking about so far, fear and uh, accolades and difference and division. Those are all things that the mind perceives to be the case. You're white, I'm black. You're female, I'm male. Somebody's tall, someone's short. So our mind is calculating all the things that we've given ourselves as challenges to prove that we're different or, or to give us the illusion of division. But in reality, we're completely all one piece of energy connected. And that's why we have all these signs that tell us it, right? From deja vus to the phone rings and somebody says your ears are ringing. I mean, we're, we are actually energy. And I think we're moving closer to, to having a human experience that is, is, is more, I guess we've been using the word congruent, more fluid and congruent with each other. And, and more in balance. Absolutely. So darkness has been like this. And I, and I think nature, so call that nature, whether you call it God or a, a religious name for your deity, whatever the case may be, uh, Gaia, Mother Earth, at some point, things have to go back into balance. And that's what is happening beyond elections, beyond commerce, beyond all the little bullet points that we tend to stress about, balance is coming. And so if, if you can be in your own zone and, and uh, be more introspective and not so triggered by the things that you've been taught and told, and especially by the media, for example, um, mm -hmm. we all level up. Yeah. Aaron, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. You too. I enjoyed it. Aaron's energy is infectious. I found myself smiling and nodding a lot because he speaks to the need for balance and the polarity and complications of leading our own lives. Whilst he talks about listening to our inner guidance and not bowing down to external pressure, I personally know how difficult this is in practice. So many of us have learnt to conform to fit in and belong. If you're not yet feeling in flow at work or in life, this podcast will encourage you to spend more time introspectively. Where are you feeling out of balance? Where do you want more ease and flow? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, helping leaders and teams lead with courage and compassion to accelerate growth in a way that makes a difference in the world. You can find out more at www.judejennison.com and you can find me on all the usual social media channels. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership. 